0: Hello everyone, Rob Guest from football.london here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Tottenham. It's the last one from us today for 2021. So we'll be looking back at the draw at Southampton have a brief look ahead to the New Year's Day game against Watford, and then we'll also be looking at the January transfer window and the best of 2021 at Tottenham. Joining me as ever is Alice Gold, Football.London's Tottenham Hotspur correspondent. Did you have a good Christmas, Ali?
1: I did, thank you. How was yours? Did you watch lots of movies,
0: yeah? Uh, Well, I think we had a couple on, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I think Sister Act was on. And then Good good Night Mr. Tom was on yesterday. That is a
1: varied collection.
0: Yeah, it's a good film. And then just waiting for Uncle Buck to come on now.
1: (laughs) That's a classic. I love Uncle Buck. Very, very cool. But probably shouldn't go on. Otherwise, this could be the uh, Golden Guest Talk movies, which uh, one day, one day we'll do that.
0: (laughs) Right. We'll uh, we'll crack straight on with the drawer at Southampton Uh, 1-1 that everyone probably thought Spurs were going to get all three points when Saints went down to ten men. It's uh, not very often you manage to score four goals in the game and come away with a 1-1 draw. So we will discuss all those disallowed goals and how Spurs played. Ali, you were at St Mary's. Do you just give us your thoughts on the game, first of all?
1: Yeah, it was my first away trip since Slovenia. And um, I had someone, I mentioned that yesterday, and I had someone say, "Oh, last three away games Alistair went to, Spurs, like, haven't won or something. And it's like, "Oh, it's him that's doing it. It's like, well, all the Spurs fans are there as well. (laughs) So it's not just my fault. It's not just like I happened to pick those three games. It's just those were the three last away games, because we've had postponements, that incredible journey to Burnley in the snow for nothing. Um, Yeah, really weird. But... Yeah, it's, it's it's a funny one. This this kind of performance, the result, everything. Um, I've mean, had some people getting quite angry that I've been suggesting that the performance wasn't very good and that, yes, of course, there were two big decisions that should have gone Tottenham's way, probably. But I kind of... My feeling is that the... And yes, look, I'm about to say... What I'm about to say I know isn't always the norm, but for me... A top side in that scenario shouldn't have had to rely on those decisions. They should have absolutely swept away with the game. Um, and yes, you know, people will rightly be saying right now, oh, but I don't know, Liverpool, Manu, Man City, Azo, or whatever, other teams, they've all benefited from dodgy decisions and things like that and tight moments. Yeah, I get that. But I still think, and I think my belief is echoed by Antonio Conte, he was really downbeat after the game, not with the referees at all, but with his players. He felt that game should have been sewn up easily without the need for those two moments. And I've seen a lot of people saying Spurs were robbed, blah, blah, blah. I, I get it. And I get the frustration, especially when you see, you know, was it Foden's goal as well for Man City, which looked to be even, <laughs> like makes Harry Kane's look like a mile on side kind of thing. And I, and I get it. I get the frustration completely. Just for me, judging it purely on the performance of the players, I still don't think they did enough. I mean, yes, of course, people, again, will rightly say, oh, but if they'd scored two goals and a 1-3-1, it would look more comprehensive. But I saw a team that I think they had 21 shots on goal. I think it was 11 on target. And I really can't remember Fraser Forster having to make a difficult save. I just think there were a lot of shots right at him. There were shots that he kind of just parried. You know, those ones where the goalkeeper gently falls to one side and pushes it away. There's lots of those. And I just felt Tottenham, there were a lot of players who weren't really on top form. Uh, and that, for me, was what I thought of the performance. I just didn't think it was that great. And Spurs probably, oh, it depends how you look at it, Spurs fans would rightly say probably they just about deserve to win it, especially with the moments that they should have had the goals. Southampton fans will maybe defended, you know, with, with their lives, essentially. You know, he made six changes and they looked fresher. Um, but for me, I just felt Tottenham should have done that a little bit more in the game. So now, what did you make of it?
0: Uh, well, I watched the game on Amazon, uh, like a lot of fans probably did, and pretty much the same as you, really. I think you've got to give credit to Southampton as well for the way they defended, because when they went down to 10 men, you were thinking, oh, there's only one winner here, especially given how Spurs have started under Antonio Conte. But It was almost an hour,
1: 57 minutes in yeah. 10 minutes.
0: Yeah, Saints defended well and I think it was summed up by Kyle Walker Peters, former Tottenham player, oh, yes. dive in, diving header uh from I think it was a Ben Davis shot right at the end. Uh yeah, he was
1: actually going wide, the shot. So he kind of like almost <laughs> cussed himself for nothing, <laughs> yeah. really, isn't it?
0: Yeah, so I thought Saints defended well, but then again, did the really were the really tested that much, like you were saying yeah. was Freda the really tested that much. No. I don't think so. Uh, Just a frustrating game, really, Uh, from a Tottenham point of view. I don't think you're always going to go into games getting a win. Every single game, there's going to be draws along the way. And yeah, it might have just been one of those. I was thinking at the end when Dyer failed to clear the ball and was it oh. bro yeah went through i think i thinking here we go we're going to net a winner here but yeah. yeah great defending from sanchez to uh block that shot i
1: don't think people kind of are really talking about it enough it was such a good so it came out of nowhere the speed he did it with but it's kind of got buried a bit among the controversy over the goals disallowed i think
0: yeah i think what spurs were lacking was probably just a bit of Invention in there, just a bit of creativity. What has been the problem since christian erickson left, really. Uh just someone who can spark a bit of magic in the final third just to create something out of nothing. But I mean the unbeaten run goes on. Saints came into the game in uh good form anyway after that win. Very good win at West Ham previously. So yeah, it's the point. Just move on now, go into the Watford game and hopefully get another three points.
1: No, he um Antonio Conte now has edged past such luminaries as Jacques Santini <laughs> and Tim Sherwood uh, <laughs> in the Premier League era. If you're not aware, everyone, that he um he now has seven unbeaten games in the Premier League as Spurs boss, which beats the six from those two giants of management. Um and yeah, I think it's only the Premier League era. I saw some saying it's in all history of Tottenham Hotspur but I think the club are simply going with Premier League era. There might be a previous manager that that's done better in their opening games, but it's been a solid start. You know, he's not getting carried away, Conte. You can tell. I think because if you really drill down into it, you look at the Premier League. It's only really Liverpool, isn't it? As a top kind of six side that they've played. Um, and like I was saying, they've had a fair few games at home as well. The last three games, I didn't even think about it until after the game. The last three Premier League matches, they've played against 10 men haven't they? at some point in the game. Um, so, yeah, he's not getting carried away. And like I say, I think he was pretty disappointed with his players. Um, he acknowledged the fact there's tiredness, of course. You know, the final whistle was only 46 hours before they started the game at Southampton. Uh, sorry, the final whistle of the Palace match was only 46 hours before. Um, and he only made three changes, so I suppose slightly down to him, I guess that tiredness. But as he said pre-match, he didn't want to lose the identity of the team either. Which, as we saw in like, Moura, um or well, against Moura, uh yes, Spurs' identity absolutely flushes away. It seems to be when you make eleven changes or, or ten. It was ten that day. So have a nine or ten that day. I know Kane played. Um, but yeah, yeah, it, it's been a solid start. Like you say, you move on. Um, but I say we move on, but we've still got to talk about those decisions, haven't we? Those VAR calls. There's three decisions in all if you count the sending off. I mean, um, let's start with the sending off. What did you make of the sending off? It didn't seem to be any debate over that one, did the?
0: Well, I can't remember the first booking, to be honest. It was on uh,
1: Emerson. It was on Emerson.
0: Um, how how long into the game was that?
1: Oh, it wouldn't have been too long. I think I would... Oh, it was... it. I think it was about halfway through the half. I'm trying to remember now. It actually was probably, it was quite an innocuous challenge. It wasn't really one that you'd probably really go mad about and call for a yellow card. If, if there was either that you maybe would call or oh, slightly harsh, it's probably that one, but it's one that you do get seen given because Emerson was getting away from him. But yeah, that second one, it's just it's just daft.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, second one was definitely yellow. Really good touch from son just to take yeah. it away because then you know when that challenge comes in he's getting the player and he didn't give uh, it was an easy decision for the yeah. ref to be honest but watching Salasu throughout the match I thought another yellow card was coming the yeah. way he was going into challenges there's a few where think yeah he's definitely going to pick up another one and it eventually uh, did come so yeah I didn't red card for me
1: yeah, he just started to walk. As soon as the ref went to his pocket, he walked. Yeah. There was no complaints, no argument. Hassan Hutzel said afterwards, I was annoyed at his behaviour. It was like, you know, just let him go and have the shot in that situation. Don't lunge in. And yeah, so there's no complaints over that one. And that went in Spurs' favour. Then we turn our attention to a, a certain uh, offside uh, call, which wasn't made by the officials on the day. It was made by Mr. Martin Atkinson in his VAR room at St- is it Stockley Park, isn't it? um yes <laughs> we've had a fair <laughs> bit of talk of that one since um what, what were your thoughts on that one
0: i knew as soon as it went to VAR, it'd be disallowed mm-hmm. and for me what doesn't help when looking at it is the angle they're at they yeah. like 10 15 20 yards behind they weren't direct in line it didn't give you like a really good view so you couldn't really tell. Uh, I think you've just got to give the benefit of the doubt to the attacker in that situation, especially when it's millimetres as well. And we've seen a number of dodgy ones over the past year or so. I can remember there was a Leeds one against Crystal Palace last year when the flag Patrick Bamford off uh, for offside, because he, he was pointed, but you can't score with your arm.
1: <laughs> no. and then
0: there was one last night Laporte for Man City he had one disallowed and that was literally millimetres like the Kane one I just think you've got to give the benefit of the doubt yeah, flag it up for offside if it's blatant if you like half a yard a yard offside but when it is literally millimetres nah, I think you've got to give the benefit of the doubt for me that should have been a goal and I think every Tottenham fan agrees with that and probably a lot of premier league fans and football fans in general
1: yeah i mean if people aren't aware there's this the t-shirt rule that came in this season with handballs so essentially anything below the the sleeve of where roughly your t-shirt would sit is a handball anything above the t-shirt level is technically a part of your body that you can score with or, or hit the ball with so the logic was that harry kane's kind of armpit shoulder area was slightly ahead of the last man which meant he was offside because you could score with your armpit which yes it sounds utterly ridiculous and i don't know how many people have ever scored with their armpit Um, a great one for some stato somewhere to actually work out but i think the thing for me that always annoys me about these calls whoever it's a get for or against whatever is the fact that I swear they still haven't got the frame rate exactly right when they're watching it back, so I don't personally believe that they are precisely getting it on the moment. It was Harry Winks actually. Harry Winks played a few brilliant through balls. First for Sonny for the penalty, that one for Kane for what should have been a goal. Um, he put in the cross for the Doherty incident we're going to talk about in a minute as well. But we're going to talk about Harry Winks because um, he's a whole other thing to talk about, but. Yeah. It's, it's a bit like they're not watching it from the moment, the past exact moment it's passed. So if you're talking about what we're we talking about millimeters, mere millimeters of a body or centimeters, if you want to say, you know, how can you be sure if your frame rate is exact point that winks released the ball, the moment the ball touched his foot and left it. And if you're not sure, if you're talking about that sort of tiny, tiny fraction of a, you know, of of a distance, just give it. I know, you know. I know we don't do um, uh, what's it called—the um, clear and obvious error, you know, uh, or mistake. It's not really applies to offside, does it? I'm always told that that doesn't really apply to that rule. But surely, if there's a potential margin for error in your reading of that situation, and the margin of offside is that small, just give the attacker the benefit of the doubt. Just do it because it's uh, yeah i can see why people get annoyed about it because i'm already starting to wind myself up just talking about it right now i don't get it it's stuff like that i thought we were starting to get out of football you know where people's toenails were offside and things like that it's a bit like i think there should be some kind of ruling if it is that i mean you know some people say well it's offside or it's not offside and if it's if he's armpit or if his toenail or whatever is offside he's offside so i get that but i still disagree with this error, this margin of error when it comes to the frame rate that they're looking at at VAR screens. I know some people are talking about the fact that apparently there's a a 3D version that they get to see, or they should get to see. I can't remember which it is, which would give a better idea of the situation, but we only get to see the 2D version of it or something. I don't know how true that is or not. That was something that I heard yesterday, but it's very frustrating, and I can understand why Spurs fans were annoyed. But myself. I actually felt the one that had no law actually declaring that it shouldn't have been a goal was the Matt Doherty and what should have been a Fraser Forster own goal for me. What did you make of that moment? That was bizarre.
0: I can see why it wasn't given, because goalkeepers are just protected, aren't they? Mm. You cannot go up and challenge for a ball with the goalkeeper because you just know there's going to be a free kick given so uh, yeah I can see why that one wasn't given and when Doherty jumps he he has his back turned as well what probably don't help the situation Uh, to be honest I didn't see anything wrong with it it's just a challenge for the ball he's not like blatantly gone into Foster and give him a shove or anything like that he's just jumped to try and challenge for the ball Uh, there's nothing wrong with it but as I said you just cannot challenge goalkeepers because nine times out of 10, a foul will be given against you. So, yeah, just another really, really unfortunate one from a Tottenham perspective.
1: Yeah, I've watched it back a few times now because I was just trying to get into my head where the officials could have decided, you know, it wasn't a goal. And I've watched it back. I've watched, I tried to, I looked first. I was like, has Doherty, has he jumped up? like not going for the ball? Has he kind of positioned himself to try to make it difficult for the keeper? And I don't think he does. I think he actually jumps upright trying to get his head up towards the ball. Um, I've watched Fraser Forster coming out. Fraser Forster is the one who makes the move towards the player. And if anything, he actually raises his knee up coming for the ball and smacks his knee into Doherty. So it's like anywhere else on the pitch without the goalkeeper involved, that's probably a foul for the other team. <laughs> Excuse me, my voice going crazy. Uh, he's actually, you know, he's put his knee into him. Then I've looked to the next point, and my next thing is, Oak thought was, okay, so Forster has got the ball under control in his hands It's knocked out. No, no, it's not. It's almost like he's got his arms in a big old circle. The ball just drops through it like a drain pipe. It's it's very, very weird. And then, obviously, it's quite comical the way it actually falls all the way down and hits his <laughs> heel it goes in. It should have been one of the most comical own goals out there. And I just – I'm bewildered by the fact that Martin Atkinson in the VAR room felt confident enough to have the Harry Kane goal be offside, but also not confident enough to say to the uh, Anthony Taylor – do you know what, you should probably go and have a little look on your pitch side monitor, just have a little think about it yourself, see what you make of it, rather than just going, yeah, yeah, you're probably right, I don't know. I don't know how that conversation would have gone, but that's how I'm imagining it in my head. Um, So, yeah, for me, that was actually the one I found more bizarre too, because at least for the first one, you can, I guess, apply your offside law as it currently stands and say he's offside, although I still think that's iffy. But the second one, I just can't see any rule that applies to disallowing that goal. It's bizarre. But but there you go. There you go. Football, eh? It's always full of fun, especially at Christmas. Festive fun for us. Um, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I actually decided to wind myself up. Talk about it. All those people that I said, like, oh, you know, you can't go on about Spurs being robbed because they didn't play well enough. And here I am actually kind of convincing myself they were robbed as well. But there you go. That's football for you.
0: Yeah, they were extremely hard done by, I think. Uh, let's move on now anyway. We don't want to wind you up too much more. <laughs> right, we'll talk about Harry Winks now. I thought he had uh, a good game. I was quite impressed by his performance again. I think he's yeah. he's done really well since Conte uh, come in. Uh, started with that good showing off the bench against Vitesse. He's played well when it has started. I think the Liverpool game in particular, I thought it was very good. Uh then carried it on against Southampton, as you mentioned. Some brilliant through balls. The one for the uh penalty, really good ball to play. sonning uh really good chip pass over the top for Kane for that dubious offside call. And then uh, the floated crossing for Matt Doherty, what Fraser Foster dropped. I've been really impressed with Winks uh, it's nice. I know a lot of people have this uh, thing with Winks that when he's on the ball he's literally sideways passes or he passes back but what we've seen from him for recent weeks is he's getting the ball and he's playing it forward and that's helping Spurs out in the final third because he's playing very good through balls at the moment what are giving Spurs uh, plenty of chances in and around the box so I've been uh, yeah, very impressed by him. And I think Pierre Emil Heubierg has a lot to do at the moment if he wants to keep his place because I think in midfield Oliver Skip for me is a starter, certain starter. Uh he you can you can see how much Spurs miss him when he doesn't play. That was the case in September when he didn't start against Arsenal and Chelsea and the lost 3 1 and 3 0. Uh it was the case again. Against Southampton, uh, Skip has been excellent so far for Tomlin this season. He's really kicked on as well on the Conte. Uh, so egg's the one for me whose position probably is on the fret a bit. What I was quite annoyed with Hojbjerg on the Saints was the fact that he had the ball outside the box numerous times to try and yeah. shoot. And he was just trying there. Uh, bit like Arsenal used to be on the Wenger when they were looking for the perfect goal and they, they'd never shoot outside the box in the good position. The would was look for another pass. Just in those instances, if you have a shot, keeper might save it, might palm it out to someone. shot might go in, you might force a corner. It's always worth having a shot in the good position. So I think for me, Hojbjerg didn't have his best of games at Southampton with Winks impressing. I think uh, Hojbjerg's got to certainly up his game at the moment because I think Winks really is pushing him now for a starting spot. I
1: agree, I agree. It's, it's, I think if you don't have Hojbjerg, you are probably missing one of your generals, your leaders in the midfield, and that's probably why Conte would be quite loath to to drop him. But, you know, the stats bear out the skip. You know, this isn't just me slamming my Oliver Skip um, membership card, kind of fan membership card there. <laughs> Appreciation Society. I can't even remember what I called it originally. Um, chucking out on the table. It's the stats bear it out. You know, he's when he, whenever he features, Spurs do better. You know, we're not not just talking about starts. Even when he comes off the bench in matches, often the team is better for him in the second half of that game or whatever. Um, yeah, Winks play well. Winks, I think, is starting to shed the sideways pass tag at the moment, under especially under Conte. He had one little iffy moment early on when he he did a really nice pirouette and got away from someone, and then he tried it again with about three players around him about five minutes later, and the ball got stuck under his foot. It got taken off him, but then to be absolutely fair to him, he sprinted back into his own box and made a really good interception. So, you know, I think if you bail yourself out in those moments, it kind of evens itself out anyway. It's fine. But I was looking at his stats, Winks, and he... passing success rate, which was the highest on the pitch. And people will look at that and go, oh yeah, but it was little sideways passes. But it actually, it just wasn't. You know, I was was drilling down deeper into it. He played three key passes in the game. He also put six crosses into the Southampton box. Three of those found Spurs players, which some people might think, oh, only half of them. That's actually a really good success rate for crosses. That was the highest success rate on the pitch for anyone putting crosses into the box. Because if you think about it, really when you're crossing into a box the actual the majority of them are headed away you know that that is it should probably be a lower score so for him to get three out of six on we're, were were good he made he touched the ball 95 times more than anyone else on the pitch again um and he made one key tackle and two key interceptions and you know if you, that's what more can you ask your essentially your number four the guy sitting in front of the defense to do i, I thought He's creative. He's trying to make things happen. He's getting involved with the tackles, and interceptions, and yeah, Hoibier. Obviously, Hoibier had that little absence, didn't he? That he was away from, and since he's come back from that, he has he has had some tired moments. He hasn't quite looked himself. Um, and yeah, I do think you know for for the game at the weekend against Watford, I think Skip and Winks probably are making a case to start, but. It depends where he goes there or where he goes for all three. I don't know, but um, yeah, I was a little bit yeah the high not shooting thing was I found slightly annoying, especially as we've seen him score goals from the edge of the box really well. So I was like, we know you can do it, you know. For Denmark in the um, the Euros, he was absolutely on fire as like a almost like an attacking midfielder in what he did. But, yeah, he just kept playing it out wide to either wing-backs or wingers, and then they were having to put it into a really packed area. It it didn't really make much sense. The one time he did have a shot, it was it was blocked. It wasn't probably the best shot. But, yeah, his stats, you know, he also had, he had 90.4% passing accuracy. But that actually, if you're going to say anyone was doing that without little forward momentum, it was hoybier it, it just, there were no key passes. Uh, no crosses into the box. It was like, I don't know. I don't know. I think people have been going a little bit over top. I've seen some of the, the some of the the criticism of him. He's like, he's an utterly average player. He doesn't even deserve to be in the team. It's like, no, 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 no. Calm down, kind of thing. It's like, we've, we've got this habit, haven't we? And we all do it in football. It's a reactionary thing. Um, Hojbjerg you know, was one of Spurs' best players last season by a mile. He was right up there with consistency, played almost every minute as well. So he was shattered by the end of it. He's not, a, he's not a bad or he's not even an average player. He's just a guy that's obviously had this absence recently and I think he's just got to find exactly what his role is in Conte's team. It, it's a different one. It depends who's playing where and who's playing in that central anchor man role uh, because it puts a bit more pressure on the other midfielder to kind of create. That's what Conte wants. Um, so, yeah, he'll it, get better. He'll be absolutely fine. Um, Another midfielder in there who strange day, strange position, which we'll talk about as well. It, it, Conte um we'll of course talk about Delhi Alley. Um, after the game, Conte said that he was on the right of his midfield three. For me, I felt he spent most of the game on the right of the front three. I mean, it may just be it was a very fluid position where he was told to get up and down the pitch, but what did you make of Delhi?
0: Uh Probably not his best performance, what we've seen recently. I think the Liverpool game, it was absolutely fantastic. Uh, But this one, no, he he couldn't match those levels. Uh, No, I didn't think he was at his best at all. And ahead of the Watford game, he's probably one of those at risk of dropping out of the 11. I think with Delhi, you just need to find his best position, really, in this Conte setup because. Previously, it was always the number 10 behind Harry Kane, but that's just not going to be the case under Antonio Conte. It's either going to be a 3-4-3 or a 3-5-2, as we've seen. Uh, So, yeah, I think he'll be a bit disappointed as well with his performance. But we've seen from him recently what you can get out of him and that he can be a success in the team. He, He just wasn't his day for me. What did you make of his performance?
1: I was really kind of impressed with what he did against Liverpool on the left of a midfield three. I thought he was really, obviously, he was a bit rusty in the final moments and and you could see that. But I actually felt a lot of what he did was very productive. He probably made more of an impact than, you know, a lot of the other players on the day in terms of the attacking stuff. He just kind of couldn't finish it off or play that final ball that was needed. But this role was a very different one. He wasn't playing as deep he was almost having to play the Lucas Mora role, which doesn't fit Delhi at all. You know, Delhi's strengths are working hard in a deeper role, but then bursting into the box kind of almost unannounced uh, with the great timing that he's shown in the past. Whereas with the Lucas role, kind of almost on that right of the front three, it's a funny one, Conte's system. We call it a front three, but ultimately kind of wants, it's almost like he calls it two number 10s sitting behind Harry Kane. So that the wing backs can overlap, but it never really works like that. They they often will go wide. And I think pushing Delhi wide and then telling him you've got to dribble past people and all of this sort of stuff, it just it didn't suit him at all. And he he looked out of sorts, he he never really made much of an impact. And I was surprised that I was trying to think, did he last the whole game? I think he actually might have stayed on the whole game in the end, did he? I don't try to remember. I don't actually think he came off. Um but I n- never felt he looked like any danger to Southampton, which is a shame. Um, and Conte was asked about him afterwards, and uh, it was the most <laughs> non—not kind of like a non-committal answer ever. It was almost like, to just to heavily paraphrase, it was almost like, "Yeah, what else could I do?" It was like that kind of answer. It was like, "Yeah, I played him there. He did the same as other people did me." It was like a really Conte is normally you'll kind of he'll either stick up for a player or he'll say, oh, they need to improve in this or that. And it was just such a kind of answer. It's like quite rare for him. And I think that kind of said it all. Unfortunately, it just wasn't Denny's day at all. Um, And, you know, for me, and again, I know this is someone who is um, someone that I kind of shout a praise for, but I'm going to give him a little bit of uh, criticism as well. When we talk about him, but I just felt yesterday, especially against a team with 10 men, the day was set for Tongi on Dembele. And I can only refer you to the comments. When I asked Conte about the match afterwards, He, this is exactly what he said about where Spurs struggled on the pitch. To find space, it wasn't easy. But at the same time, I think that we can do much better and move the ball more quickly. Sometimes to try also to find the one versus one. Um, I think having to play after two days is not easy for every team. I think that I've seen a bit of fatigue in my players. I also think for this reason, we make sometimes not the good decisions in the last pass to finish. We can do much better. So Conte is saying, <laughs> if I'm not incorrect here, they were missing someone who can pass the ball quickly, make good decisions with their final pass, and also someone fresh enough to take on players in 1v1 kind of dribbling situations. Hello, Tongi on the ballet. That That is him. It is him. And... I don't know about you, but for me, I just felt that if you needed anyone to unlock that kind of a team sitting back, a player who can draw players out, who can beat a man so that they suddenly have two men taken up with him, which leaves space for others to get in behind, it's talking under belly, isn't it?
0: Yeah, Paul lad, on his birthday as well, oh, having to sit birthday, on the bench yeah. at Southampton. Uh, yeah, I think it was made for him. That scenario just to bring him on because it is hard playing against ten men. I know everyone might think, "Oh well, you've one more player on the pitch should be walking this game." But when you're playing against ten men, everyone on the opposite team just is camped behind the ball, just defending for the lives,
1: next, isn't it? Really?
0: Yeah, and I mean a lot of teams will. Uh, practice that exercise on the mm. training pitch because it does come up quite often, and it has in recent weeks in the Tottenham games. they have been coming up against ten minute <laughs> time. It should, it
1: should, it should be well versed in what.
0: <laughs> so yeah, I, I said that earlier in the pod. You just Tottenham miss that lack of creativity. Someone who can just produce something mm. off the cuff to open things up, and Tongi did that against the Liverpool with that really good fruit ball to Kane. Yeah. just just missed someone with a killer eye for a pass like him. Uh, shame, really, because, as we've both said, Fraser Foster didn't have too much to do, really, across the 90 minutes, and especially when Saints were down to 10 men. So things maybe could have been different if Tongi was given a bit of time on the pitch. But that just wasn't to be the case, unfortunately. So we're just going to have to wait and see when... His next appearance comes, whether it'll come against Watford on New Year's Day, maybe in the cup, or potentially Markham in the FA Cup. Maybe that might be his, his next game. I just think, yeah, Spurs lacked just that bit of invention, that bit of creativity, and Magic. I think Tongi would have given them that.
1: Yeah, I mean. Look, people know my feelings on Tonguy Ndombele. He's honestly one of the most gifted players I've ever seen pull on a Tottenham shirt. And Spurs have had some incredible players pull on that shirt. However, I just think Tongi's biggest opponent he'll ever face in his career is Tongi Ndombele. It really is. It's like, you know, I've been speaking to people within the club about him recently and, and it was said to me and it's absolutely spot on. Tongi Ndombele is the best player on the ball at Tottenham Hotspur. Off the ball, he's one of the worst players at Tottenham Hotspur. He just is. It's, it's you know, and what I find frustrating about him is, is as well as I'm, I'm told that the fitness coaches at Spurs at the moment believe he's in the best shape of his career. The best shape he's been at since he's arrived at Tottenham. He's in like absolute peak condition that he's been in. Yet you don't see that in matches, you know. You see... There are times when he will run back and he'll make a tackle. There are times when he will make a sliding tackle. But when you've got someone like Antonio Conte, his very set system, uh, he said it himself, he has these real tasks that he asks of every single player to do. And when you've got someone like Tongi, who is, you know, if you look under Maverick in the in, the encycl- in, uh, in encyclopedia, it's got a photo of Tongi under Bella. He is, he's exactly that kind of person. He does the most incredible things, but trying to fit him into a set system, it's It's like, you know, it's like trying to put a piece in a jigsaw that's maybe from another jigsaw. Um, And he'll just... There's moments against Liverpool he did really good stuff on the ball. And the next moment, you saw him kind of chugging along, coming back when Liverpool were attacking. It's a bit, oh, Tongi, you're doing it right in front of Conte as well. It's a bit like his warm-ups, you know. I know I've said this in the past, but all of us in the press box, we have a giggle. It's become a bit of a game, isn't it? It's the watch Tongi do his warm-up thing. And if anyone's not seen this, you might, maybe if you're in the stadium, you might be on the other side of the stadium. We're just quite fortunate in the press area. And there are quite a few away grounds, it's the same. You get to see the players warm up, like, line where they go down. And Tongi has this routine. It's not 100% of the time, but it's pretty much 95% <laughs> of the time at least. He'll be called to warm up. He will slowly get out of his seat, taking off the many, like, blankets and tracksuit layers that he's got on himself. And he'll kind of shuffle slowly away from the bench, walking up the line. And then he'll he'll be watching the match. You'll watch him kind of standing there. He'll he'll be watching the game. He'll do the odd like pulling up the back of his heel to show that he's doing something. Once in a while he might do a kind of uh, you know, might uh, like kick his feet up behind him as if he's doing something. But ultimately, he's kind of just wandering around, standing watching the game, and and you look at the other players around him who are all kind of going through these fast and furious exercises, making sure all their body is fully warmed up, ready to come on. And look, I I love Tongi. I do. I've interviewed him a couple of times. He's great. He's he's a very intelligent guy as well. But if I'm Antonio Conte and I'm staring down that touchline, looking to see who is ready, motivated to come on and change that match for you, and I watch Tongi, and I look at Tongi and I just think, Okay, Tongi's not ready again. I and mean, you look at someone like Lucas, who's probably going through this incredible kind of uh thing. And the thing with Tongi as well, Tongi's had lots of muscular injuries. So you kind of think, why are you not warming up your muscles properly? But, you know, why are you not doing those things? Um, look, look, we're just that's just a body language thing, you know. Like I say, it's also about what he does on the pitch as well. Um, and I so I, what I'm essentially saying is. While I would have desperately loved to see Tongi and the on that pitch, I do think Spurs, and this is a big statement, but I think Spurs would have won that game with him on the pitch. I think they would have. Um, I thought Brian Hill came on and a little kind of quite a bright cameo. Matt Doherty, I actually, he's one of the few times I've gone back to my player ratings and I've uh, revised one because once in a while, you kind of, especially on the, I was driving back from Southampton, I was just thinking to myself, I kept thinking about the moments Doherty had had in the final minutes. I was like, do you know what? He actually kind of did make an impact. He did like um, he got into the box and and uh, Forster denied him at his feet from Son's little ball. He did a lovely run towards the end uh, which showed really good feet and put Hill in for the, la- the late chance. Like, oh, you know what? Despite playing in completely the wrong position on the other side of the pitch, he actually did make an impact. And obviously he also had the moment with Forster that it probably should have been a goal. So yeah, I'd given him a five. So I bumped him up a mark later, which it's quite rare. Normally, I do my player ratings and I never really think about them again, but I just felt that was a little bit harsh for me. So, yeah, the two players that came on probably did make it. I'd say the one who didn't make an impact was probably Lucas Mora, funny enough. Lucas Mora, who was fantastic against Palace, he looked tired. He looked leggy. He didn't look like he had much in the tank. And that's why I think Tongi probably would have won the game. But that's why I'm also saying if I'm Antonio Conte, I kind of understand why. He's not playing him at the moment. He's he's such a funny character. He's so gifted. Like I say, he's got himself into the position to be the fittest he's ever been. But he's just, I don't know whether he's just like this really cool, laconic guy who's so laid back. I don't know. But it just doesn't come across with, you. when you've got someone like Conte, he's flapping his arms about, he's the most incredible, motivated, over-the-top, kind of emotional guy at the touchline. He's kicking and living every moment of a football match. And he turned across to Tongi, he was like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's just a complete opposite. And I just, I don't know. I wonder what the future holds for him. I do, because and the the on the, in the harsh light of day, this is now what the fifth manager he's had, and he's still not. So I think it's Poch, Jose, Ryan Mason, Nuno, yeah, and now Conte. It's the fifth head coach he's had. And he's still not a regular starter in the Tottenham Hotspur team. And it's Sevilla. Like, oh, come on, come on! Something's got to click because if it doesn't, I've just got this horrible feeling that we'll get to the end of the Tongi and Tottenham adventure.
0: Yeah, because this is his third season now. You don't yeah. want to be going into next season, his fourth season, thinking is this finally going to be the year we see the best of best of him? Uh, I just don't want him to be a Wasted talent because no. you see it so often. Prime example, Mario Balotelli, fantastic player. <laughs> you know, I, I don't even know where he's playing now, to be honest. No. I know. He was playing for Brescia in Italy. That might have been last season. I couldn't tell you where he's playing now. He's a really good player, could kick on a couple more levels, but it just never, never, ever happened for him. And you just don't want tongi to you know not yeah. reach the levels he can because he, he's got everything in his game to be a big success
1: Adel he's just- was another one at tottenham there's kind of and this is and, and, and we must stress we're not saying that tongi's got an attitude problem or anything like that we're not because everything i hear behind the scenes he's very popular you know he's not like a guy who he doesn't soul and i don't think he like throws his toys out of pram anything like that i think he just just has this very laconic kind of attitude about the things he does and and, and it just maybe maybe gives a, perhaps a false perception, I don't know, but uh yeah I, I'd be gutted if he doesn't show what he can do at Tottenham fully
0: Yeah, it, it's down to him and we know if he does leave Tottenham at some point that he will just kick on, he will it's uh, another club, we just know what he's like, so we'll move on now, we'll uh move on to the New Year's Day game against Watford Uh, short trip across the Vicarage Road Watford lost 4-1 the other day against West Ham what are we expecting in terms of Conte's Tottenham team then, I think there'll be a few changes here and there
1: I think so, I mean what are we looking? Tuesday to Saturday It's probably a longer break than normal in the festive period. So that's the one thing, isn't it? You, you do kind of wonder, like almost, why didn't you just play the Southampton game you know, on the Wednesday? <laughs> just, I, don't, I don't understand the logic. I'm not the person that sorts out the fixtures of TV companies or however it works, but you kind of think, well, why have you got that bigger break after that game? Just just split it up a bit better. Um, yeah, I think we'll see a few changes. I think he's still. He keeps telling us he's managing the players who've had COVID quite carefully. Um, You know, Ben Davies came out this week. It was a really good interview with him in the matchday programme from the Palace match, and he was talking about having had COVID this month and it kind of knocked him out uh, a little bit, and he feels like he's now getting back to where he was fitness-wise. But even with him, Conte seems to be kind of – he was on the bench, wasn't he, against Palace, and then he came back into the team at Southampton. So you can see even the ones who kind of feel fine, they're still just being very cautious because you know, it's a virus that we don't know kind of yet long-term effects and what it can do to you and things like that. So yeah, I think he'll I think I'll mix it up a little bit more. You'd imagine Lucas and Skip certainly will come back into the team. Um obviously Regulon only played the half, so he'll be should be fine because uh yeah, he was <laughs> He was kind of losing his head a bit towards the end of that first half, so I can completely understand why he came off. Um, I think he's appeared to indicate that none of the injured players would be fit for the weekend. Uh, so that would be Bergwijn, Lo Celso, obviously Romero, Cessignon as well, which is a shame. Uh, I think there should have been a period we'd have seen a lot of Ryan Cessignon in. Um, it's just uh, just his luck, isn't it, really, at the moment. I'm um, so think who else could come in? Otherwise, I think the team's probably... I think he'll just probably bring those, make those changes. Maybe Tanganga come in for Davies again, perhaps. He was really impressed with Tanganga's performance against Palace. He was delighted with it. So it may be, or it may be that he chooses someone. It may be Tanganga comes in for Sanchez. Maybe gives Sanchez a rest. Uh, Although I'd probably say Sanchez was the best defender, I felt, against Southampton. He played really well. Um, He's got to rest Dyer at some point. I know, obviously, he's a big Dyer fan, but... You know, you'd think Joe Roden probably deserves at least one go at some point. Um, yeah, it's Watford, isn't it? Watford right now on paper, Tottenham should be beating them. But as you and I always say about the on-paper things, the Spurs seem to rip up that piece of paper quite a lot, don't they? Um, the deal. And I remember going uh, going to Watford on New Year's Day Oh, a few years back in the pot year, when Spurs were brilliant. I don't remember Kieran trippier having like one of the games of his life. He was superb. Um I can't remember, was It's five? Did they score five, four or five? They, they were superb that day, Tottenham. If we could have got a repeat of that, it'd be wonderful. Um but yeah. Uh, I think the extra days should help content They should help Tottenham. Um they should be fresher. And I think one side effect hopefully you'll have from that southampton game is i think like i say conte was pretty pretty peeved pretty annoyed at what he saw in terms of the attacking play so i think you'll see a lot of work on the attacking side of things on the training ground this week
0: yeah i think you're right in terms of the team selection i don't think there'll be that many changes i think lucas will probably come in for ali I think this could be the week we see Wink start ahead of Hojbieg alongside Skip and I can see Tanganga coming in probably for Sanchez if he's if he wants to rotate his team a bit as he said I think he probably would be the ideal game if any to bring Roden in and rest Dyer because there is a Carabao Cup semi-final clash coming up against Chelsea uh, next week yeah. so I think he's got to have one eye on that game as well really Uh Obviously, I think the Markham FA Cup game is when you'll probably see a lot more rotation. Whether it'll be the uh, the Mura eleven who start or not, I know the Mura eleven sounds really bad. Like they've done <laughs> something really bad. No Mura eleven. That, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think there'll be a bit more rotation uh, for Markham. So we'll have to see. I think there'll be a couple of changes here and there, and hopefully we'll be talking about uh, a positive result after the 1-1 draw against Southampton. What New Year's Day also does mean though is the January transfer window reopens for business. It doesn't actually seem that long ago since the summer window was uh, open but here we are now almost in 2022 so that does give Antonio Conte his first real chance to stamp his mark on the Tottenham squad in January. So then all Tottenham fans will be hoping for a number of incomings, a number of outgoings. Realistically, what are we expecting from Spurs in January?
1: Ooh, it's 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 just that month, isn't it? It really is. It's like I see all the Spurs fans on Twitter, and I see someone, oh, someone tweeted me. Was it yesterday? Saying I'd be happy with the January transfer though if we had got Vlahovic, uh, De Ligt, Kessie. <laughs> And there was someone else that said as well. And I was just like, what, what are you talking about? It's like, I, I get that we all kind of enjoy the whole fantasy element of transfer windows and all of that. But you've just named like, a list of like the best young players in their positions in Europe um, in the most difficult window to do deals in when clubs don't really want to let players go. At a time when everyone is struggling financially in the pandemic, you know, even Chelsea I saw today it was 130 or £135 million pounds in losses. Um, and that's a club that obviously have a, a rather wealthy gentleman who will put his hand in his pocket for the club. Um, and I just like, it's like, okay, okay. So, okay, we're going down the FIFA kind of football manager route to the transfer window I see. Um, I think, I think Spurs will make a couple of changes. I think they have to. I think it's a bit like the Mourinho first winter window um, when he made a a couple of changes. You know, we can all argue with the success of those changes in the squad. Um, But I think they have to make a couple of things because we can't forget that the summer window was a window where Prasici built or attempted to build a squad for Nuno Espirito Santo. And, you know, that may not apply to Conte. You know, we still await Conte's evaluation list. Um, Obviously, we're recording this ahead of his press conference today. um, And, you know, maybe it will be that it's one of my questions. I might ask him whether he's now evaluated the players, because if anyone isn't aware, he had a meeting uh, a few weeks back. I think it was with Paratici, Steve Hitchin. I think Daniel Levy was involved as well, um, where he asked for more time to evaluate the players. Another month, I think he asked for. So he's set to kind of sit down again with them and, and present his findings essentially, and then they go from there and, and who they want in the general window and, and who's who's able to leave. Um and it's all key to that. Look, you know, I, I've from what I understand within the club, there's an expectation that they'll look for or try to in this window, look for a left sided centre back to be in competition with Ben Davies. Because that's maybe Conte has said already he wants two players for every single position in his kind of ideal formation. You can maybe argue Tanganga can kind of play on that left. He's did a good job, but he's probably not, you know, he's not a left footer, is he? He's not, it's not his natural position. So that's one position. Told that they're also thinking about a right wing back uh, with maybe Matt Doherty being allowed to go out and get more regular football somewhere. Uh, and also that much-discussed natural nine number nine striker. You know, who obviously they looked at a few types like that in the summer, but for reasons unbeknownst to anyone, uh, didn't actually move for one. Um, I was actually looking at it earlier. Do you know, in the summer, if you count a couple of the lone players, in terms of first team squad players, Spurs had, I think it was 11 or 12 players leave, and they brought in four to play in the first team. It's weird, isn't it? It's just such a weird summer window. It was. There were some good signings made. But it was almost like, did you really replace Vinicius? Did you replace what Bale bought? And it's all these little little things and players that were just allowed to have their loans end that they didn't really move. Look, and that's the three that I'm told at the moment. The thinking is that's what they go for. But of course, that could change when Conte kind of comes in. I think that's the three that maybe more paratiches is, is he's thinking. That's the three eight. But Conte will come back, and it will be down to Conte as it should really. Uh, what he wants um, you know money will be tight it's Tottenham it's every team right now and money will be tight in this window for everyone um, you know people hate it when I say that and I understand that um, I even had someone tell me earlier you know but then they bid for Latara Martinez in the summer They, they but it's yes they did uh, however that became that came before they then went and bought Emerson Royale and Pape Maté you know they spent about what are you look at, it's really, uh, what about 35 pushing 40 million, 35 million or so after that. So it's not like that money's sitting there in some vault, <laughs> vault ready to be used. You know, they did go out and buy the place. And uh, what you can't forget as well is when Spurs make a big bid, it's often loaded at the back end rather than the front end. You know, it'd be, be like we will pay you £5 a month until 2097 and things like that. You know, if he scores 274 goals in his first three seasons, uh, we'll give you another £10 and all this sort of stuff. That's, that's, that's of course, a massive exaggeration. But what the point I'm trying to make is when you've got someone like Daniel Levy, everything is very carefully structured. Every deal is very well structured. And it's not a case of whacking a load of cash on the table and saying, can we have him now? Um, but, yeah, we wait to see what Conte brings and what he says. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of names mentioned out there. Um, I personally, and I've said this a billion times, I'd love to see them bring in another playmaker type. I don't think they've ever replaced Ericsson. And I know those players aren't uh, you know just hanging on trees to go and grab. Christian Ericsson at his peak was a very rare player, player with incredible work rate who also could create something out of nothing. You don't see a lot of those. Um, but, like I say, it depends on content, what he wants. Does he really play playmakers in his system? I've had some people that covered him at Chelsea, other reporters who've said that's not really the kind of player that fits into his system particularly well, um, which, you know, may upset a few Spurs fans. But if he's had success in doing what he does, Tottenham haven't. <laughs> you can't really argue with letting him do what he does. Um, so, yeah, I mean, what would you like to see out of the transfer window?
0: A striker.
1: I I can't believe, yeah,
0: I mean, I can't believe they didn't even bring one in last summer. I mean, that was crucial, really, especially with, for me, I'd have just got Vinicius back for another season, even if it was another loan, I thought he did all right. Yeah, he didn't have a lot of chances in the Premier League, but I thought he did his job in Europe, and he would have started in the Europa Conference League, because, I mean, two years ago, we all know, what happened there when Harry Kane sustained that hamstring injury against Southampton on New Year's Day and there was just no other out-and-out striker at the club and you just do not want to be in that situation again from the start of February. So for me, they need another striker. Although Conte has said Stephen Bergwijn can play uh, through the middle and we could potentially see him play that role against maybe Markham in the FA Cup. He'll get his chance there when Kane has an opportunity to rest. So a striker for me, probably a creative midfielder would be nice, but it's all going to be down to Conte. But I think there also needs to be some outgoings. I think Joe roden needs a Premier League loan if 100%. he's going to be allowed to go out on loan. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think there'll be masses movement, I think that's going to come in the summer January is such a tricky window as you've alluded to, not a lot of money available for clubs not a lot of players available, the ones who are available, teams want a lot of money given the time of the year and Spurs years gone by I mean very rarely do signings in January, I think the only noticeable ones in Pochettino's time at the club was Deli Alley but he spent the rest of that season on loan at MK Dons. Then it was yeah. Lucas Moura. Yeah. Then under Jose uh, Gidson Fernandez on loan. That didn't go well. <laughs>
1: You're going to and say then... Steven Bergwijn, who's been slightly more successful. But yes. Yeah, and so, yeah. Steven
0: Bergwijn and then Lo Celso on a permanent deal. So okay. I think we'll see a similar window, really. I think they've got to give Conte uh, money to bring in. A couple of players, just the strength and I in the vast majority of Tottenham's transfer movement will will come in the summer.
1: I think. Yeah, I think the difficulty as well with this window, with the lack of money, is I think there'll be a lot of loan moves, but loans don't really benefit Tottenham, especially in terms of trying to get players out the door, because you know I often see people on social media saying, "Oh, it's so easy, get rid of player, you know, A, B, C, D, and E." And then we've got the money to buy all these superstar names. And it's like, it doesn't really work like that. It's like, let, let's say, for instance, Deli Alli, purely as an example. Deli Alli, um, if he wants to leave for regular football, if Conte puts him on his list and his evaluation list as a player who can go, if they get a bid, nobody right now makes a bid of a worthwhile nature for Deli Alli. Unless you know, unless maybe I don't know Newcastle. Unless Newcastle, their new cash-rich status, mm-hmm. decide Delhi's the player we need, and they offer silly money. Otherwise, you're looking at people trying to get a loan, and a loaning out someone like Delhi doesn't really benefit Tottenham in any way. There's no money to come in to be put towards other transfers for themselves. They're losing a homegrown player. Yes, they're getting his wages off the bill, but we're not talking about the most exorbitant wages in the world. It's a bit like, eh, is it really even necessary? And I think a lot of coaches and managers this um, the second half of the season are going to be really wary of any time they get a couple of COVID cases tied in with a couple of injuries, they could suddenly be incredibly short in some area of their squad. And I think there's going to be a real reluctance to actually let players leave. This is my fear for Joe Roden. I think Joe Roden needs to go and get football because his development is going to stagnate hugely if he doesn't play minutes. But if I'm Conte looking at that, I'm wondering, oh, all I need, really, is for dire say to pick up an injury. And Joe Roden's my backup central player in the back three. It's a bit like, yeah, it's, um, this is going to be a weird window. Anyone expecting just like a crazy window where these incredible fees and prices and deals are snapped up, I don't think it's going to happen. You know, even players that like so people have been talking about Frank Kessie is, you know, his contract's up in the summer. He's definitely a player Spurs are interested in. But right now, financially, it makes no sense for a club to buy him in January and spend money when you can get him for free in the summer. Same for the player. Why would you give up a signing on fee and probably bigger wages by moving now? And that's not even to mention the fact that he's away with the Ivory Coast for most of January anyway. Just before we head off from the January uh, the January transfer window, I just want to make uh, I just want to ask you about something that's been winding me right up. From Saturday, Hugo Loris can talk to foreign clubs about leaving Tottenham Hotspur for nothing in the summer. Robert Guest, how has that happened?
0: I've no idea. <laughs> how can you have such an experienced player in that position? But <clears throat> saying that, two years ago, Jan Vertonghen were in that position. Yeah. Toby Alderweireld, Toby Alder-Virel was in that, almost in that position. Christian Eriksen was in that position. Yeah, it's, it's it's a strange one, to be honest. They need to get it sorted ASAP, to be honest. You can't have Hugo going on a free transfer in the summer because to replace him, you're going to have to spend an awful lot of money. And if you give Larissa a new contract now, if he wants to stay at the club, then that money, what you would potentially have to use for a new goalkeeper, you could then put towards other players so yeah as well as that I think I don't think there'll be masses of movement like he says in January but in January you can start planning for the summer as well like you mentioned Kessie sort of pre-contract out with him if possible but I know a number of foreign clubs would be in that position looking to do the same I think there's quite a good number of players available uh, on free transfers in the summer so whilst there might not be incomings in January, I think you can also start looking ahead to the summer. But in terms of Lloris, just give him what he wants. <laughs> just yeah. sign him up.
1: You know, yeah. you, you touched on it there. Everyone, all the talk about Daniel Levy is that he's this financial genius. He knows all this. I'm sorry, how is Hugo Lloris, who is one of the still one of the best keepers in the world? He's 35 years old now. I think it's was 35 on Boxing Day, wasn't he? Um. He's still up there with among the best keepers in the world. He's making less mistakes than ever. He's, <clears throat> excuse me, more yeah, more consistent, still pulling off all the flying incredible reaction saves. To replace him with a similar standard goalkeeper, if you look at the fee you'd have to pay, the signing on fee, the wages, how is that more financially viable than just giving Hugo Loris a decent new contract? And you know, and you know, you, some of the players you've mentioned, you know, they broke their over-30s rule where they signed up Toby Adeverald for a longer contract, they signed up Moussa Sissoko for a longer contract. How do you sign those over-30 players and not give Hugo Lloris what he wants? It's like goalkeepers are as special cases as it is. Yes, he's 35, but we're not talking about a 35-year-old centre-back or striker. You're talking about a player who's probably got two or three years at the very top level left in him. And, and my worry is, is while I'm told that there's a willingness from all sides to get a deal done, if he can start talking to foreign clubs from Saturday, what is to stop some foreign club just making him a really good offer that at this time in his career, it might suit his family. Maybe it is a move back to France. Who knows? It's like maybe an MLS side or something comes in and said, we'll give you this wonderful life in America. And it's a bit like, why, 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 why have you let it get to this situation? I never understand that. Never understood it. And as it was rumbling on, I never got it. And Now we're literally days from him being able to talk to foreign clubs and I don't get it. I don't.
0: Yeah, hopefully that uh, is sorted ASAP with Lurie signing a new contract. Right, before we wrap things up, what we'll do quickly, we're going to do a best (laughs) of 2021 because this is our final episode of 2021. So... Uh, what we'll do, we'll name our player of the year, game of the year, goal of the year, and then our one wish for 2022. So, Ali, let's kick things off with you your Tottenham Hotspur player of the year for 2021.
1: <laughs> well, that, that segues very nicely because my player of the year is going to be Hugo Lloris. You know, I think there's lots of other contenders for the awards who have done certain things during the year. Harry Kane, brilliant first half of the year, you know. Um, scored a lot of goals in the second half of last season and assists and finished as top goal scorer, top playmaker. And yes, he could have been in there. Sonny's been there in big moments for Tottenham. Hoybier, like I say, was had a very good kind of last season. But for me, Mr. Consistency is Hugo Loris. I think if you're looking at 2021 as a whole, I think that man has been he's been there for Tottenham. He's made some huge saves. He's even acted as a leader, you know, that night in Zagreb as well when he came out absolutely slaughtered the team just when they really needed to be, you know. he's, he, he's done every, he's done everything you can ask I think as a captain. He's Tottenham's winner, he's Tottenham's World Cup winner. He's a man that's been there, done it and consistency-wise across 2021, I don't think Unless you're going to go a bit left field and say someone like Oliver Skip, but clearly he spent most of his time at Norwich in 2021. He's had a great year. I think if you're talking about someone that's been at Tottenham for the entire 12 months, it's got to be Hugo for me. And Give him a contract.
0: It's uh, it's Hugo as well for me. He's my Tottenham Hotspur Player of the Year for 2021. Now at Football London, we recently had a vote and Son came out on top. I can't remember where Hugo finished. Was Hugo third? Was it Hojbjerg second, Kane fourth?
1: Yeah. Hugo, Hugo third? third? Yeah.
0: Something like that. I know a lot probably will pick Son. I thought Son was outstanding in the first few months of the 2021 season, but the second half, I didn't think it was as good. It was scoring goals every now and then, and then this season... I don't think he's hit his top form. He's certainly not matched his form well, from... Just... Yeah, but I don't think he's matched his form from first few months in 2020-21 yeah. under Jose. So for me, for consistency, I'd go with Lloris. I think Kane would be in the running if he had a good start to the season, but that just wasn't the case. So Lloris for me. So we'll move on. Your Tottenham Hotspur game of the year in 2021.
1: Yeah, I had to do a written piece just before uh, the end of the the uh, just before Christmas, and in it I put that the Crystal Palace game earlier in the year, which had I think had two goals from Kane, two goals from Bale, I think as well. It was it was a really really good game. It was it was a great one to watch, and we got to see kind of Gareth Bale back in the kind of pumped I think but you know what? I think I'm going to change it because since then we've had the Liverpool match and yes, I know Spurs didn't win, but in terms of just a football match that you could just sit down and have so much happen in it, I loved it. Honestly, it had four goals, some good goals as well. It had, um, God, it had so many controversial incidents. It had a potential sending off, it had a red card, it had all the intrigue around the match and moaning from the managers it was just for me it was a football match that just had a bit of everything and i thoroughly enjoyed it so yeah i'm gonna put that one there i'm gonna chuck it in
0: yeah i'm gonna go for one from january and that's the marine fa cup game yeah i I love the fa cup i think it's such a brilliant competition might have lost a bit of magic in recent years where you have some Clubs maybe not going full strength, but I thought that was just brilliant. Tottenham traveling up to Liverpool to play Marine. What was there about 150 places between them, something yeah, it was like the that? Biggest
1: ever in the FA Cup, wasn't it? Biggest yeah, gap it, between
0: two teams. Yeah, it was just an incredible day. Carlos Vinicius celebrating like he would a in the World Cup <laughs> final. I think there was One houses, three. houses as well, right next to the pitch. They so had people. Obviously, watching crowd. on from the rooms. Yeah, then yeah. I think you said at the time, was there a dog in one back garden? It started barking when Jack Clark was doing his warm up and scared oh, him as something like the, that. Geez,
1: I mean, yeah. Um, yeah. And had people <laughs> that set up their own little Prosecco. It was these two ladies in like a Prosecco viewing gallery where they were like watching <laughs> it's their own little stand. They all had these, it was very clever. They had sheds, but they'd taken the back off the sheds. So they could sit in there a little covered in case the rain came and everything. And each, I loved it, each fence had the house number on it. So if the ball went over, someone from the club could run around and they knew which door to knock on. It was lovely. It was so lovely.
0: Yeah, and there was Alfie Devine as well, becoming the club's youngest scorer. Uh, Yeah, that was a great day. and I can remember (laughs) Deli Alley tripping up. On the pitch during the game and then there was just like gareth bale harry winks son just all laughing at him oh, when was. they were on the bench just right in front of him so yeah that was uh that was a good day so we'll move and on the spurs soon.
1: fans. can't can't forget the spurs fans raising the virtual the money with the virtual ticket oh
0: yes that yeah, was a big part
1: that, that was lovely that showed the football community coming together and essentially that plus the tv money you know, it's going to keep Marine afloat for, for so long, which is wonderful. And that's what football is all about.
0: Right. Next one Goal of the Year.
1: Oh, goal of the year. Interesting one. Um, we've got a few contenders out there. I love Tongi's one against uh, Sheffield United, wasn't it? The, the cheeky lob. I like that a lot. Um, I might go, I'm going to go recent going I go Hugo... Oh, Hugo. i got Hugo on the brain. And we got Lucas Moura's rocket against us in Norwich, wasn't it, recently. Um, I love that goal. It was such a good goal because it had had a bit of everything. The build-up was lovely as well, and it was just... It was like an arrow, just an arrow saying it. There's, so there's a few contenders this year, but I'm going to give it to Lucas because I haven't, I haven't bigged him up too much in this episode, and uh, I feel like... He's a player who's really starting to find his feet under Conte on the whole. And uh, as, as goals go, that that was an absolute beauty.
0: I'll go for Tongi against Sheffield United in January. Top goal. that I think that was probably one of his best performances under Jose Mourinho. I think he was waxing lyrical about him in the press conference. Really good scoop pass by Stephen Bergwijn to play him in. What a finish from quite a tight angle as well to get it over Ramsdale right into the bottom corner. So I think that, for me, was my goal of the year. Obviously, uh, I've got to mention Lamella's against yeah, Arsenal. That was brilliant. Uh, Kane's against Crystal Palace, where he killed it into the top corner. That was fantastic. Bergwijn against Aston Villa. And they'd forgotten about Delhi bicycle kick against Wolfsburger oh, yeah, well. in the Europa League until they uh, watched back the goal. So, yeah, uh, quite a few good ones in there but for me end on belly so last category
1: i was going to say i just think we have to say with lamella because people will be wondering like why haven't you picked that it was kind of technically probably the best goal and it won awards and everything and i don't know about you but for me it was an incredible goal and it was one that will be remembered but i just don't think it'll be remembered for the best reasons i think it came in a match where lamella then got sent off and Tottenham lost and unfortunately the quality of the strike maybe is overshadowed by how the game then went, um, which is no reflection on the goal itself. I understand that, but it just means it's slightly less memorable for me.
0: Right. Last category. Your one wish for Tottenham in 2022.
1: Well, other than Oliver Skip and Tongue and Bimbele becoming the best players in the world <laughs> and starting every week in Tottenham, uh, just that Antonio Conte brings what we know he can bring to Tottenham and just for once Tottenham are normal and they actually everything goes to plan wouldn't that be wonderful no weird stuff happening no ridiculous decisions you know you've brought in one of the best managers in the world which automatically raises everyone's expectations players fans everyone in the club please do what you can to actually make him a success. <laughs> he can't do it all by himself. Don't bring him in and then go, right, it's down to you now. As a club, they've got to back him. And that's my, that's my wish for 2022, that we see the very best Antonio Conte because he's been given the very best that Tottenham can offer.
0: For me, it's the return of Champions League football in 2022 I think that's a must and if Spurs get that then in the summer hopefully that will attract better quality of players especially when you've got such a good manager in Antonio Conte at the club so they'll have the perfect scenario where it goes down to the last game Arsenal are also in contention but Arsenal somehow end up in the Europa Conference League Spurs will get the Champions League instead and I think that'd also be good for work purposes as well, because there are a number of Arsenal fans who work for Football.London. So I think on the Monday, if that happens, yeah, uh, then they probably won't be uh, saying a lot. So, yeah, fingers crossed. I think it promises to be a good 2022 at Tottenham with Antonio Conte in charge. And fingers crossed there is, because uh, everyone wants the good times to come back to end 17. Right, I think we'll leave that there for the last episode of Golden Guest Tottenham in 2021. Then we'll be back next week, probably after the Watford game, and then we'll be looking ahead to the Carabao Cup game against Chelsea. So as ever, thank you for listening. If you'd like to leave a rating or review at your platform provider, then that would be great. So, yeah. As ever, just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news.